The Bible reading this morning shall be taken from the books of Leviticus chapter 16 verses 11 to 15 and Hebrew chapter 4 verse 14 including chapter 5 verse 10. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beatings more and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that it does not die and he shall take some, some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the, on the front of the mercy seat on the east side and in front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times then he shall kill the goat of the saints offering for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with it with his blood as he did with the blood of the bull sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat Hebrew chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, is, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may, have, um, that we may receive mercy and find grace to, to help in time of need. For every high, spirit, high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal greatly with ignorance and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when God, when called by God, just as Aaron was. So, also Christ did not exhort himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication, supplication, supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save, from death, save him from death 
and he was hard because of his reverence. Although, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obeyed him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. May God bless the reading of us. Amen. Thanks, Ralph, for reading the Word of God for us. Last year on New Year's Eve, so I'm talking about four weeks ago, at uh, about, I don't know, 11.30 or so on the television broadcast of the Sydney um, fireworks evening, we had uh, Tina Arena came on. And she sang a song of hers that I'd never heard before. It was called Time to Go to Church. Um, now, I've looked at the lyrics and I'm not going to comment particularly on them, but it was an interesting song. Um, and then immediately after that, she sang her very well-known and popular song called I'm in Chains. And I wondered if there was meant to be some correlation there between time to go to church and now I'm in chains. Because a lot of people in our world think that that's the way things work. That the church ties people up in chains. People think that, uh, and this is a general sort of you know, perspective um, of people that you and I interact with in our daily lives, people think that generally they're pretty good. They're not too bad. And when you go to church, the church puts this condemnation on you that you're a sinner. And the church binds you up in chains. We don't actually need the church to tell us that we've got a problem. You look at the daily news and story after story after story is what happens when people do wrong, <laughs> when people do things that are sinful. We hear stories over and over and over and over again about murder, about rape, about greed, about thieves, about liars, about betrayal, about jealousy, about fits of anger, about rivalries, dissensions, and that's just politics, about divisions and about envy. And everyone else in the world seems to think that they're all fundamentally good. It's just all those other people that do the bad things. At the core of our hearts, though, can we really say that we are good? If we're honest with ourselves, our sermon series is about seeing Jesus. And today we're talking about approaching God's throne. And that's a scary thought. If we think with honesty about who we are, 
Jesus says in John 8:34, "Truly, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin." We might not have committed murder or rape, but how many of us have been greedy? How many of us have stolen something? How many of us have told lies? or betrayed someone? How many of us have suffered from jealousy? How many of us have had a fit of rage? How many of us have been part of rivalries within the church even? How many of us have suffered from envy? Jesus raises the bar higher, doesn't he? he? He says that if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, that you have committed adultery with her in your heart. How many men could honestly say that they have never done that? We don't need the church to tell us that we're in chains because we know ourselves in our hearts that we are in chains. Have you ever cried out to God because of sin in your heart, because you've struggled with persistent sin? Have you ever come to that point, that low point, where you just feel that you cannot get through a favourite singer of mine John Foreman from the band Switchfoot has a song called uh, Your Love is Strong and in the song he, he sings the words of the Lord's Prayer hallowed be thy name above all names your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us weary, weary sinners, he says. It's a, it's a slight, you're allowed to do this when you're a songwriter, right? I love that image. Forgive us weary sinners. Are you weary with sin? There's an old hymn says, Come ye weary sinners. Come all who feel your heavy load. Are you feeling weighed down by sin? Do you lie awake at night with the weight of your sin like an anvil on your chest? Have you ever thought of giving up? Maybe you, you were home during lockdown and you just thought, you know, I can't be bothered to go to church anymore. Maybe watching online now, you're feeling that. Have you ever wondered whether it's worth going on? I want to encourage you because today's passage is for you. If you've felt like that, look, the big idea of today's passage is this, weary sinners 
Hold fast to Jesus, a sinless high priest, and boldly approach the throne of grace. But we start here with this weary sinners. And if you're feeling like that, today is about hearing the gentle message of our sinless high priest so that you can hold fast and boldly approach the throne of grace. I'm going to pray and then we'll look at the passage. Lord, all of us at one time or another have felt the weight of sin and the condemnation of the devil and we've recognized that we are in chains. We're enslaved by sin. Let us hear now your voice, Lord God, bringing to us the truth of your word so that we come to know and rejoice in the salvation that you bring us, that the chains are broken, that we are no longer captives to to sin, that we are saved, that we are a new creation, that we are loved by you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Outline for today's message, are you weary with sin? Jesus is a sinless high priest, hold fast to Jesus and boldly approach the throne of grace. The passage that we're looking at, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 through to chapter 5 verse 10 is really broken up into two parts. The first part, hold fast our confession, is the verses 14 to 16 of chapter 4 and really this is the uh, the pinnacle, if you like, it's probably what you could call the summary of the whole of the book of Hebrews. Um, if, you, if you want to think about it this way, verse 14 could really be a summary of the whole book of Hebrews. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. It's a fantastic summary there at the end of chapter 4 for us to keep holding on. And then, and here in, in 4, 14 to 16 is the introduction of this theme of Jesus as the high priest. And this theme goes through from here until chapter 10. And Jesus as the high priest, the introduction to that theme is given in chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. And you can split up chapter 5, 1 to 10 into three sections. And I really love the headings that uh, two commentators had for these different sections, F.F. Bruce and G.H. Guthrie. Verses 1 to 4 are the qualifications for a person to be a high priest. Verses 5 and 6 is the appointment of Christ as high priest. And verses 7 to 10, the path to appointment. So Jesus is a sinless high priest. What are the qualifications for high priesthood? We're going to look through chapter 5 first. Um, 
So F.F. Bruce summarises it this way, a high priest must be A, able to sympathise with those whom he represents and B, divinely appointed to his office. Able to sympathise with our weaknesses. Hebrews 5.2 says, speaking about a high priest, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. Now, uh, the passage that Ralph read for us from Leviticus chapter 16 is talking about in the Old Testament, there was one day once a year, the Day of Atonement, where the priest, the high priest only, the high priest would enter into the the Holy of Holies in the, the tabernacle, in the temple. They would go right through into the very inner place where the glory of God came down. Inside that place there was a a seat which was called the mercy seat. This would happen once a year and in preparation for that, as we read in Leviticus chapter 16, the high priest would make sacrifice not only for the people but for himself. So the people would come and they would bring their sacrifices for God's atonement to to receive God's forgiveness but the high priest himself he was not perfect (laughs) and even though his role is to be a mediator between the people and God the high priest had to offer a sacrifice for his own sin the high priest can deal gently with the ignorant, those that don't know any better, and with the wayward, those who intentionally do the wrong thing. And all of us at one point or another have fallen into one of those two categories, sometimes into both. But he can deal gently with people as a high priest because he knows from personal experience what it means to be ignorant or wayward, to be sinful. And that's why he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins. So if that's the first qualification for a high priest able to sympathise with our weakness, you might ask the question, well, can Jesus sympathize with our weakness because Jesus was without sin so how can Jesus sympathize with us and and this may be a real problem like it might be something that you really struggle with because we know and understand the struggle with sin and we think well Jesus was perfect how can he understand that back in chapter 4 verse 15 we read For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Now, you'll all know the temptation narrative of Jesus, I, I guess. If you don't, Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, goes into the wilderness. He's tempted by Satan, who tempts him with a number of uh, Bible verses, in fact, and Jesus overcomes that temptation. And here we're told that Jesus has been tempted as we are in every respect. And I was having difficulty trying to understand this. There's a quote from a Christian commentator from many years ago, B.F. Westcott. He says this, Sympathy with the sinner in his trial or in her trial does not depend on the experience of sin. In other words, he's saying Jesus didn't have to experience sin to sympathize with us. Why? Because it's on the experience of the strength of the temptation to sin, which only the sinless can know in its full intensity. He who falls yields before the last strain. Now, trying to get your head around this can be a little tricky, but let me put it like this. If you're tempted to do something and you give in like that, you haven't struggled very hard against that temptation, have you? It's only a a simple, easy temptation and you give in to it. But if you don't give in and you keep going about your daily life and, and then you're tempted again, the temptation may become stronger. As you resist temptation, it can grow in your head, can't it? (laughs) Whatever it is that you're being tempted to do, it it can become bigger and bigger and a stronger temptation. And and it's always, you know, you, you give in so easily at first, but if you resist, it becomes harder and harder and harder. And what B.F. Westcott is saying is that Jesus, he never gave in, and so he experienced temptation at its strongest, which we all fail to do because we yield before the end. So in actual fact, Jesus can identify more closely with our experience of temptation than a person who gives in to sin easily. So Jesus, who is sinless, is able to sympathize with our weakness because he's been tempted in every respect as we are. I found that really tremendously helpful to reframe my thinking around that because for so long uh, there's, I've had this sense, you know, well, you're perfect, Jesus. You're the Son of God. How can you understand the struggle that I'm going through? But he does because he didn't yield to temptation even when it was at its strongest. The second qualification for high priesthood 
is that the priest is divinely appointed to his office. We read in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 1, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men and women in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So you see, the high priest was appointed by God. The first high priest, Aaron, Moses' brother, was appointed by God. And high priests after that were appointed by God. It was done through the, the, um, ge- the genetic, uh, I can't think of the, the word now, but you know, the, they were the, the children of Aaron who were appointed as high priests and each succeeding generation Again in verse 4, no one takes this honour for himself but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Not just anyone could be a mediator between the people and God. You had to be divinely appointed. So was Jesus divinely appointed? Well, yes. We read in verses 5 and 6, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus was appointed as a priest. The significance of Melchizedek is that Melchizedek was a priest who was not in the line of Aaron. And you might recall from genealogies that Jesus was actually in the line of David, the king, and in the Jewish system in the Old Testament, kings were kings and priests were priests, but you couldn't be a king and a priest, but Melchizedek was both. And so here we have a king who is a priest. That's all I'm going to mention about Melchizedek He comes up later in Hebrews, and there'll be a lot more about him later. But the point here of this passage is that Jesus, like any other high priest in the history of Israel, was divinely appointed by God. So, the question, is Jesus a sinless high priest? Well, yes, the answer is yes, but what difference does it make if he is a sinless high priest? Let's read verses 7 to 10 of chapter 5. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. I come back to this quote. Sympathy with the sinner in his trial does not depend on the experience of sin, but on the experience of the strength of the temptation to sin, which only the sinless can know in its full intensity. Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. It's not that he didn't know obedience before, but by experiencing suffering, he was able to show 
his obedience. We're told in chapter 4, verse 14. Just trying to find it to bring it up here. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. What difference does it make that we have a sinless high priest? I want to paint a picture for you. In the Old Testament, the people came to offer their sacrifices. On the Day of Atonement, the priest would sacrifice for them. He would sacrifice for himself, for his own sins, and he would pass through the door, through the the curtain, into the Holy of Holies, where the mercy seat of God was. Because he was human and sinful, he had to offer sacrifice on his own behalf, And then he passed through the curtain. But it's sort of horizontal. People here on earth, priest here on earth, through the curtain to the Holy of Holies where God has allowed his glory to come down to the mercy seat. But in Jesus, and here at the beginning of today's passage we read we have a great high priest not just any high priest but a great high priest who has passed through the heavens so we come now to our great high priest Jesus who is without sin so he doesn't need to sacrifice on his own behalf and he doesn't pass horizontally through a curtain into the holy of holies but he passes vertically Through the heavens, he sits at the right hand of God the Father beside the throne of grace. The high priest in the Old Testament once a year passed through the curtain to the Holy of Holies. Jesus, once for all time, has passed through the heavens and sits at the right hand of the Father and the throne of grace. And what we are told here in verse 16 is let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you hear how incredible that is? Once God's people had to come to a priest, an intermediary on earth, to try and find mercy from the mercy seat which was here on earth. Now we as God's people can come straight to the throne of grace because Jesus has already passed through the heavens and because by faith in him, we can approach boldly 
with confidence the throne of grace. Can you understand how incredible that is? How, how big a change that is? Our high priest is not beset with sin and has been victorious over sin. And by his blood, by his sacrifice on our behalf, we can come to the throne of grace. What an incredible message. The entire book of Hebrews, this is the, the key. Because Jesus is a great high priest, we can come with confidence. So we're told to hold fast to Jesus. Weary sinners. Are you weary? Might be you're weary with other things besides sin. (laughs) But are you weary with sin? Are you sick of it? Are you sick of getting tripped up by it and trapped by it? And you just long to be set free from it. Weary sinners, hold fast to your confession. Let us hold fast our confession. Why? Because Jesus is a great high priest. Because he's a sinless high priest. Because he's passed through the heavens. And because we can come in him to the throne of mercy. When you're struggling with sin, when you're weary with it, remember Jesus, because he identifies with us. It's interesting, isn't it, that it uses the word weaknesses. He's... He's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Not sin, he he didn't sin himself, but he can sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way. He withstood the strongest temptations. So he identifies with us and as we're told a high priest does, he deals gently with the ignorant and wayward We come to the throne, not of justice. We come to the throne of grace. Hold fast to Jesus. We can follow his example. In 5, 7 to 10, we we read, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. How are you going to hold fast to Jesus? Pray, pray, pray. Not just one prayer. Prayers, plural. Supplications, plural. I think that is the idea of doing it often. (laughs) Doing it repeatedly. Keep coming back to God with prayers and supplications. When you're struggling with your sin, don't keep dwelling on the temptation. Pray. Bring the words of scripture to mind. Pray that 
you will be able to partake in what the high priest has done for us in his sacrifice. Jesus, with loud cries and tears, uh, this is not some sort of head space thing. It's not an intellectual thing. This is a soul and spirit struggle. We come and we're beset by sin ourselves. We struggle with temptation. Cry out to God. Cry out for his mercy in Christ. Let there be tears. That song I was talking about, where John Foreman singing the Lord's Prayer, and many times when that line has come, which is slightly different to the biblical one, but has, I'm sure, the essence. Forgive us weary sinners. I've had tears. I've been weary with sin. Forgive us, Lord. Cry out to him. And Jesus, we read, learned obedience through what he suffered. We can learn obedience through suffering by holding on to him, holding on to God in the midst of those difficult times, in the midst of that temptation, if we will hold on to him, we will learn obedience as we suffer. And we read about Jesus, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. That's not to say Jesus wasn't perfect before. And the word here is meaning probably more the sense of completion, being made complete, his work being completed. And there will come a time when our work is completed. Not that we're saved by anything we do, but there will come a time when we no longer struggle against sin, when we are united with God in heaven. And in the meantime, we can come to the mercy seat of Jesus. Hold fast to him. Complete your work. Keep going to the end. Hold fast. Don't give up. When you're in the midst of that struggle and stress and strain, don't give up. Cry out to him. Learn obedience through suffering. And boldly approach the throne of grace. It's uh, in the English Standard Version, which I like, it says with confidence. But a number of the translations use the word boldly. And the original Greek word does mean with boldness. With, it's with confidence as well. But there's a, a, a sense of, I don't need to be ashamed can you understand how amazing that is, that me, a sinner, that you, sinners, can come without feeling a sense of shame to God the Father, to his throne? 
because of what Jesus has done. Boldly approach the throne of grace that you may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Um, Emily chose some songs today and I I loved that one, Good and Gracious King. It was just perfect, um, the the words there. Um, Let's go back to it. I approach the throne of glory. Nothing in my hand I bring but the promise of acceptance from a good and gracious king. Is that special? I'm seeing one or two nods. Is that special? Is that great? What an incredible promise. What a gracious gift.